0: are you all coming from? From Swerveland, Fairy, Are you talking
1: just like us? Borac Thong, Earthlets. My name's Conrad alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 20th episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time or usually is, this episode, we're taking a break from the weekly progs and once again venturing into the uncharted waters of special editions. In no. this case <laughs> In this case, the 1978 sci-fi special. Like previous uh, sci-fi specials, or I guess the one we've done so far from 1977, this issue features thrills with different creative teams, as well as classic stories from the Fleetway Archives. Uh, while it doesn't have nearly as many articles and text pieces as the last one, it does have a very mixed bag in terms of thrills. Yeah. But, speaking of text pieces, uh, uh, Thrill 1, A Fist Full of groats.
0: And once again, we're hit with, hey, you know, we should have in this comic book, Conrad, just, like, mm. fucking five paragraphs of text.
1: Always. So the cover of this of the sci-fi special is a lizard man desperado shooting a robot desperado, and it's awesome. It's pretty awesome. The text the text story uh, on on the on the first page is uh, basically the cover is the text for the cover story. It's called "For a Fistful of Groats." It features two androids, one named uh, Butch Cathode Ray and the other the uh, Sundroid Kid. And basically, they've gone Ugh. rogue 20 minutes ago, they've robbed a bank, and now they shoot each other over greed and stuff. Which, both of these both, both of these two things are awesome. Yep. It doesn't explain why uh, Butch Cathode Ray is a lizard man. No. He is. And he is. it's not reflected in the story. And to have the two be different... Like, that's no, that's no good. I love lizard and, men. I love robots. You And gotta they're be cons-
0: nearly identical. Like, yeah. the robot guy looks like a robot lizard, and the lizard that you're told is also a robot guy just looks like a regular fucking lizard.
1: You know... uh sweet cape. Yeah. This thing's... Uh, the uh, the script droid for this is uh, Roy Priston, the art droids, Kevin O'Neill. They could have easily made this be two robots. They didn't, and for that, um, they should... I don't know, feel bad 40 years later, I guess.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, here's the thing. I I love science fiction um, when it branches into the world of science fantasy. Like, I love science fantasy. Mm-hmm. Especially, like, anytime you want to mix in your cowboys with your space, I'm really down, and I get it. Like, it's meant to be just like a little trashy novel, tiny little story. We needed a thing to fill in a space, but, you know, it's... Neither an interesting story because you know where it's going, Hmm. Uh, and it's already pretty misleading because you wanted to know about the cool lizard guy shooting a robot for groats.
1: Indeed. I will say that I think this one's a little bit better than the summer special from 1977 story, which was weird, and buried in the middle of the comic.
0: I don't even remember it. I try not to remember that time.
1: You know, it's hard to remember these past thrills. Speaking of past thrills, <gasps> thrill to Dan Dare. Uh, so the, uh, the the script and the art robot for this episode, for this issue of Dan Dare is Gary Leach. And like most of the thrills we'll see this week, this one takes place, I think, before the stories in the Progs. Yeah, I was like, going
0: to ask you about that, given like, his like backdrop.
1: Yeah. Like this one seems like a bridge, like sort of a bridge story from the end of like launch two thousand AD Dandere and then the new Dandere.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say it's weird how many times has this dude been court martialed, and then I thought to myself, probably quite a few times.
1: Yeah, but I feel like this one takes place after like the events where he save where he sort of had a hand in saving uh the uh, the Earth government from the Mekon. He's been reinstated into mm-hmm. like the the S.A.S. or whatever, the, uh, you know, the, the, the Space Navy.
0: I just called them Sasa.
1: Yeah, but he's been given a, a, a low-ranking job as a flight instructor on Mars, and mm-hmm. is currently ferrying around um, Ziggy Rodan, who, uh, if you've been wondering we... what happened to the Lady Doctor in the uh, Biog story from the start oh, of 2000 AD, What? Here's your answer.
0: That's her? Yeah. And she's psychic? I Sorry, guess, man. Esper. I mean, that's cool and all. I was gonna she just she's...
1: found out she was an Esper in the course of the story.
0: Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Weird. Weird, I had no idea.
1: Yeah, man, Maybe lady named Ziggy, it's, it, it stands out to me. There's a Monday
0: <laughs> throwback, too.
1: Yeah, 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 there's, a, there's a, an, an, another Martian hybrid.
0: Damn. All right, well, please continue.
1: Uh, Dan Dare's giving Ziggy a... Uh, giving... Ziggy Rodan a ride back to her research base on Mars, um, yep. which is apparently a giant purple lake, which is all one big living being, and they're calling it Visco.
0: Which you know makes me think it's probably pretty pretty gross and sticky. In, uh,
1: like goo- I, I I I have to agree.
0: A schmooze.
1: Yeah, they know. believe it to be alive, and that seems to be borne out when it starts attacking them yeah like,
0: <laughs> and and she's like oh i told you you can't come into this thing but no uh you should definitely come in here because it's gonna kill you
1: yeah we're under attack from visco apparently it's becoming more and more hostile so they've ordered a bunch of like weapons from the sasa and Dander was there delivering them and so now he sort of carries a bunch of weapons for them inside the space the uh the mars base it's like whatever
0: it really doesn't seem like a good idea, considering what happens.
1: Yeah, so basically, it becomes <laughs> clear that like Visco is somehow creating illusions that threaten the entire crew. Oh yeah, like everyone, go g- nuts. everyone goes crazy and sees things, and then they sort of like react and kill each other, and then it's like, oh, it's just an illusion, you know. <laughs> this includes. So Dan- oh, go ahead. Yeah,
0: D- Dan Dare sees like a little imp on his shoulder, but because he's a totally masculine dude, he's like, ah, oh, it's nothing. But then a then a Martian guy thinks that spiders are coming out of his skin and biting him and stuff, and he freaks out.
1: Yeah, he just gets eaten alive by a bunch of giant imaginary spiders and stuff.
0: I mean, we don't see it, but clearly, I guess the dude's dead, right?
1: Yeah, no, everybody starts dying, you know?
0: And, and then some really intense imagery of just like, oh, fuck, we're locked in here. They start tripping the shit out.
1: Yeah, basically everybody starts seeing their worst fears and reacting to them like they're real. Going crazy, people killing, killing each other and themselves.
0: And the Ugh. world's like warping and distorting. Yeah,
1: inside the ship and outside of it. Eventually, and by eventually, I mean actually pretty quickly. It's just, <laughs> Dan, it's just uh, Dan and Ziggy, and they end up being under attack from Dandare's entire rogue gallery. Oh God which basically ends up being too over the top from Dandere he's like what everybody like this isn't like real <laughs> <laughs> and so he just kind of puts his puts his head through puts his hand through like the mekon's head cuz he's like come on like this is not a realistic team up of my rogue's gallery to be attacking yeah, me in this position
0: like each other especially yeah. the gross one that eats all the things
1: yeah get out of here <laughs> unfortunately so while things quickly uh quick quick uh slow down for a second they they pick back up when another monster appears
0: which is just like there's just monsters everywhere man yeah
1: this ends finally when ziggy accidentally gets knocked out and mm-hmm. the uh monster attacks come to a stop dan oh, dares so realized yeah. something and he puts ziggy ziggy's unconscious body into like a, a scuba suit
0: but the scuba suit has a force field helmet instead of like a regular helmet. They really wanted to underscore that.
1: Yeah, so they, So basically they're just sort of out in the open. They don't have big like bell jar helmets or anything like that. They just have kind of like light gray force fields around their heads.
0: Yeah, it's weird.
1: But anyhow, <laughs> she comes to underwater and is like, ah, what's going on? And Dan Dare is like, oh, I figured it out. You've got an empathic link. With Visco, because you're, like, part psychic.
0: He's very smart.
1: And... This. Yeah. So, you gotta, like, master your control of yourself so you can control the monster. You can control oh, Visco.
0: Can I please use the phrasing that they used for this circumstance? Hit me. Now she must perform an almost impossible task. Master her most basic animal instincts and turn her fear into total relaxation while Visco's fluids churn and fuse into a creature.
1: Gross. Like uh, <laughs>
0: like, what? like turn your fear into like a super great vacation.
1: Yeah. So no
0: one's f- able to do that.
1: Ah, uh, she is. She's able to do it just as the giant jaws of the Visco monster, Visco monster are about to swallow the two of them whole. And we see in the end that the brain of Visco is just a glorified walnut. <laughs>
0: Hey, don't make fun of it. It could definitely kill us.
1: I mean, it killed all these other guys, but not me. I'm Dan Dare. Anyhow. <laughs>
0: and he makes Any- a point.
1: Yes. Yeah. So with, so with Visco tamed, it's all good times. Dan Dare comes back a couple months later, and it's been the monster's now a hydroponic farm. Oh, yeah. Which, alright. They keep it, They keep it relaxed by playing it music. What kind of music? Oh, just a uh, handles water music.
0: Wow! Oh, God, yes, yeah, great. <laughs>
1: it's
0: jokes. They know jokes.
1: Yeah, anyhow.
0: <laughs> kind of fun, there. Dan
1: Dare story, you know. It's very. Um, oh, yeah, please. Very, like, chauvinist, I'm in control, Dan Dare. But, like, I don't know. I found it to be inoffensive. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so that's the thing. Is is like he he wasn't this like terrible human being. Like it was incredibly striking uh, what Dan Dare was when he was just like fresh out the gate for me, and he's much better now. And this seems much more tempered. Even though he's like obviously in control, he's got the situation. He knows what to do. It doesn't feel particularly condescending. (laughs) Uh, The art is spectacular.
1: Yeah, um, they do a pretty, yeah, what's his name? Gary Leach does a pretty good job, I think.
0: Especially in the trip-out spaces. Yeah. Yeah, I
1: agree. It's not not super condescending to women. But hey, speaking of condescending (laughs) to women, (laughs) Thrill 3 movie featurettes. Space Chicks! There's basically like two pages of just like, hey, here are some sci-fi movies or things. One is Space Chicks, which is just like...
0: Awesome. I mean, look, I'm speaking from a personal, uh, like, things that I enjoy. I unabashedly enjoy The Opposite Sex. And quite frankly, Barbarella, I've never heard of it before. I'm
1: checking it out now. Jane Fonda's Barbarella. Yeah, it's a pretty good, like... It's from, like, 1971 or something like that. Um, but it's pretty good, man. There's, like, a zero-G scene that, like, is not... I would recommend it. I don't know if you're, like, into objectif- objective objectification so not into
0: objectification but definitely into fantasy
1: fair enough as well as uh so like this is just like it starts with tharg like carrying (laughs) a passed out lady and it's being like here are other uh ladies that i'm told you earth let's enjoy basically
0: yeah that that definitely was a little like oh
1: yeah, and so there's yeah.
0: You're bringing a lady for us to look at.
1: <laughs> yes, there's images from Jane, there's images of Jane Fonda from Barbarella, uh, mm-hmm. Catherine Schell, and I believe uh, Caroline Mortimer from Space 1999, and then of course Linda Carter from Wonder Woman.
0: Wonder, she's Wonder Woman. beautiful. She is beautiful.
1: Yeah, man. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, these are the these launched a thousand um whatever's in 1977 for sure <laughs> God. meanwhile on the next page there's a bunch of, there's a couple of production shots from the movies uh kingdom of the spiders and empire of the ants so i to, do oh, oh I, sorry please go ahead oh i was just gonna say two monarchy themed uh monster attack movies from <laughs> the late 70s <laughs>
0: Oh, there's also The Warlords of Atlantis.
1: Oh, I was going to get to that one later, because (laughs) it's later in the comic. You blew up my spot, Fox, but let's talk about it for a second. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) We can get it out. No, 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 we're going. Uh, There's also a later one for Warlords of Atlantis, a UK-produced fantasy movie, which I think looks pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I want us to watch all of these films as well. Totally.
1: I agree. I agree. Yeah no I yeah Kingdom of the Spiders Empire of the Ants Warlords of the Atlantis none of them are on Netflix but I think we can find a way.
0: <laughs> of course, and Warlords should be the the very last one because it looks like the best.
1: It it look yeah it's very it it, it reminds me of the it's a uh, it's got a bunch of like big sea big like puppet sea monsters and has kind of a mm. Jason and 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 the Argonauts kind of feel. Yeah, There's like lots of ra- real sets. Yeah, like Ray Harryhausen, like we got some, a bunch of practical effects and weird stuff. Like in the um, I I watched the trailer for Warlords of of Atlantis. Oh, and was it amazing? It's like these two guys in like one of those um, like bathysphere like submarines, kind of going down, and they get attacked by this giant like long necked sea monster, and it's just like they're in this set, and this giant like sea monster mouth head comes flying into the wall, and they're like,
0: ah, get out of here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. And then everybody's like, you know... And, and then it's one of those movies where they, like, you know, kind of go to the ancient realm and have to deal with people and stuff like that. So... Okay. I'm pretty excited. Yeah, I am I think it's pretty neat.
0: Oh, man. I really hope this is treasure. I love schlock.
1: <laughs> I the king yeah. of
0: the spiders looks great. And I love that this man is trying to rip the mandibles off an ant.
1: Yeah, well, I think as I, I i i didn't see the i didn't watch the trailers for kingdom of the spiders or empire of the ants i just kind of looked at them at imdb uh kingdom of the spiders has william shatner in it which i'm surprised they don't mention um yeah actually we and that they're, they're all just very like you know schlocky like oh like this is yet another um remake it, like Empire of the Ants is directed by Bird Eye Gordon and it says H.G. Wells is Empire of the Ants but I assume mm-hmm. it's just another remake of the H.G. Wells story Food of the Gods where you eat like where someone eats like a big thing and there's big monsters that eat people and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that movie's been remade so much and it's so many Mystery Science Theater 3000 movies are about it. I think several actually directed by Bird Eye Gordon. That oh, that's it's, great. <laughs> it just seems like yeah, no, we just there's this one story about sp- special food making animals big and we just make our make all of our stories about it. It's like how um like eighty percent of slasher horror of of horror movies based on a true story or are just based on the story of a uh, gein you know? Like, yeah be it Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Psycho or whatever. Like it's all Edgeen, you know? Yeah.
0: Or it's and, just, like, based on a true story because two people... They used the names of two people who were, like, paranormal investigators. And it's like, oh.
1: Yeah, but, like, I'm just saying that, like... There's this, there's this one sort of genre of giant well, of animal course. movies that say all they're all... based off hey, of this fucking... They're all based reference. on one H.G. Wells, like, short story or something. Of
0: <laughs> you know? Hey, man, schlock is schlock. You get it where you can.
1: Fair but, enough, yeah. So... After the movie featurettes, there's a pin, there's a, a pretty sweet pin-up of uh, Mach Zero. Mm-hmm. And then we go to Thrill 4 Mach Zero. With a script by Henry Miller, and the art robot is Kevin O'Neill.
0: This starts so adorable. He has his princess moment from Disney movies.
1: Yeah, it's basically... It's basically this thing seems like it takes... Pl- <sighs> okay. Okay. <laughs> this, there's some timeline issues with this uh, sci-fi special. Aren't there always? But basically, this Mach-Zero story takes place in 1998, very specifically on July 10th of, ni- of 1988. <laughs> um, which, I'm going to say it takes place between his apparent death in Mach 1 in the progs and before the current Mach-Zero story.
0: I would
1: say so. That kinda makes sense. He's still got like clothes and stuff as opposed to just, he's mostly naked in the course of like when he starts the Mach Zero story in the in the current Mach Zero story in hair. the progs Yeah, and he has hair, it's weird. <laughs> the character design is different. Like the Mach One care Mach One is extremely off model in the sci-fi special. He's got yeah, hair, I mean, he's got like, he's got clothes. Muscles. Yeah. He's basically just like the Hulk. <laughs> And he's traveling through the English countryside. Yeah, he takes some time to uh, commune with the random animals. He's got like a little squirrel in his hand and stuff. And then he's hungry, so he goes to try to find some food. And eventually comes across an old uh, train station.
0: Which is... uh, There's a setup here, which I really liked about this story, is that the... The new prototype train, the Cyborg Express, is going to run through this uh, area, and it goes nearly three hundred miles per hour.
1: Yeah, and so this whole comic, like I'd say, like the bottom tenth of the page, Mm -hmm. is basically this story of the Cyborg Express, like starting up and moving and having and having breaking problems and doing whatever else as the rest of the story takes place. What really loved it a lot?: Yeah, it's a good like sort of as, this, as you know, these two things happening at once. Mm. Meanwhile, Zero befriends this old guy who runs the tra- who owns the current train station, and eventually, the old guy shows Zero his son. who is a robot? <laughs> Full-on, like, I think, like maybe seven foot tall, I, um, humanoid I, I, robot. <laughs>
0: I would call this Dr. Mysterio-bot. If he had a cape, he's Dr. Mysterio.
1: Yeah, he's definitely got like a big or globe no, head. Myster... Just Mysterio. He's just got a big Mysterio. globe head, like Mysterio the Spider-Man villain, and then just a bunch of like sort of deep-sea diver-type body parts, essentially.
0: It's really great. He looks like such a badass fuck. It reminds me a lot, and I say this, for this comic, heavy metal. Because heavy metal, they also have a dark orb that they use for all of these things. That is this like pulse, like I don't know. It feels like someone was yeah. watching that movie.
1: I mean, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't shock me if the two comics are, are, are cross pollinating at this point. Yeah. But um, yes, yeah, so there's a big globe that the that the train station guy has zero put in the robot's head. <laughs> and apparently it's the robot's birthday he kind of yawns and like calls the human dad which creeps me out a little bit but yeah um i'm anti-transhumanism fox that's why my, my one um thing that i have but <laughs> but apparently it's the robot's birthday and the train guy has built a huge um train set for him oh and so the kid sort of marvels over it. He wears an engineer, he, or he wears a uh, yeah, an engineer hat as all the trains run and stuff. But then Zero steps on a loose wire, freaks out, and breaks the train set.
0: Yeah, it explodes, though. Which like, I've never seen a train set do because of a
1: bad wire, but... Well, he's, no, he, he steps on the wire and gets, like, shocked or something. Uh, like, the okay. wire goes bang. It it hops or something, and sends Zero like flying forward, and then he sort of cartwheels onto the um, the train set. So the robot's mad, and the two of them start fighting all over the place. Oh, man, Meanwhile, the the old guy who runs the uh, train station is just kind of like, "Boys will be boys."
0: Well, what what I liked about it was so you have this like all of this momentum building up from that bottom page piece so in the part where he finally does start fighting Mach Zero which by the way when he punches him he punches him so hard that he flies through the air through a TV his face goes into the television and he lands outside and everything in this part of the strip is actually read left to right in three segments Mm -hmm. which I like again just giving nod to like how they set this up like I wasn't confused at all with how this this thing was supposed to like be read just by how it looked really liked it a lot
1: no, it's a super like action-packed section, but it ends with Zero mm. uh, suplexing the robot guy into the path of the oncoming <laughs> Cyborg Express, and the robot is then smashed.
0: Like this guy's kid, and then he just yeah. walks away. Like, okay, I'm hungry now.
1: As the uh, yeah, like as the uh, as the train station guy sort of like holds the shattered remains of his son, and the robot's like, "Oh, my head hurts. It hurts," and like beeps. Beeps as it dies Zero oh just kind of wanders off back into the countryside soon forgetting the whole thing and just being just being hungry
0: yep it's, uh, it's pretty bad news for that like, poor accountant who spent all of his life and money trying to build this kid robot
1: Yeah, but, you know, maybe, I'm sure he still has the plans and stuff. He can build a new kid and hopefully uh, work out the kinks that he had previously. You know, you go back to the drawing board. That's how science works.
0: Uh, Here's how you work that out. You don't just invite a giant bodybuilder of a man to, like, install your child. Like, someone who clearly has the mental capacity of a child. (laughs) I don't know. Like, I would be terrified of a man that large who didn't seem to have all of his mental wits about him.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I think you want to be nice to Zero just because Zero's been through a lot. But you know, you're also asking for trouble because yeah. he he is a killing machine.
0: <laughs> he was bred for that purpose.
1: Yeah, but that's why you also don't poke him, cousin George. You'll get yours.
0: <laughs> God, I hope so. Yeah. I don't want it to go down.
1: <laughs> but so speaking of uh, unique page constructions. <laughs> Let's go to uh, Thrill oh. 5, Rick Random, Part 1. Oh, we're going through it in parts, Cliff. Yeah, well, it's in the page in parts, so let's, you know, let's split it yeah, up like no, that. Yeah, no, no, no,
0: it makes sense to me.
1: So, so, here's what's going on, all right? Yeah. We got this Rick Random story. It's written, the, uh, the script robots are, uh, or the, the, the script robot's Harry Harrison, the art robot's Ron Turner. Mm-hmm. And this is a reprint from the Super Detective Library Digest comic from November 1957. So it's got like a style and a story that's really like a product of its time, I guess.
0: Yeah, they used to be much smaller books.
1: comics. Yeah. So like Rick Random is a classic sci-fi character from the UK in the 50s, so I guess fairly similar to Dan Dare. Though he's like a, uh, a detective, I guess, instead of... Uh, a military guy to an extent yeah. <laughs> um, he's written by Harry Harrison who's a, sci- uh, a science fiction author, I really know him best from his stainless steel rat books which we'll actually see comic bookized in 2000 AD, but he's written a bunch of books like um, Bill the Galactic Hero is a popular book of his um, The he wrote the short story that the movie Soylent Green is based on Right. Really? Mean, stuff like that, yeah Huh. Okay, cool. So it's like a classic kind of science fiction author, if you're into that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I can tell. And and again, we'll see sort of more. We'll see three of his stainless steel rat books are given comic book adaptions in 2000 AD that we'll see pretty soon. And uh, we'll see more of these classic Rick random stories in like annuals and specials over the next couple years and stuff.
0: Not the worst, and not the best.
1: Yeah, and cool. so this one I think is like the best one, apparently, f- from what mm. I've heard at least. Uh, and yeah, like you said earlier, they're reprints of a smaller comic book format to the point where basically the way this is all set up is that each page is actually four pages of the original story sort of in a grid. that you, So it's like you read the top the top left quadrant then you read the top right quadrant then you read the bottom left quadrant then you read the bottom right quadrant basically Mm. um and it means that this like 64 page comic becomes like a 20 page comic essentially yeah but it also means that like man there's just a lot happens at once in the course of this um of these of these short pages
0: yes it really is yeah. uh, just a lot of words.
1: Yeah. But so, you know, I think it's a good way to kind of see the difference between um, have something like a really wordy comic. Comics we've seen like Colony Earth or something that oh, are really God. wordy and stuff. You can kind of see like the the evolutionary basis of that kind of comic in these old like randoms and stuff.
0: Yeah, and and I actually I wanna I wanna go back to that once we kind of recap cool. random just because yeah. um, there there are some very clear things that like you look at this and you look at Colony Earth that um, I feel like Colony Earth misses beats. So
1: mm, fair. um So we're gonna, so in the in the book it's split. So in the special it's split up into three parts. We'll split it up into three parts. And just go from there. So, part one. Yep. <laughs> uh, oh, gosh. A lady space fighter pilot finds a glowing football in space. Yep. <laughs> Rick Rick, Random, space detective, is called in to investigate. They, because, of course? Yeah, they figure out how to open it. It contains a psychic message from a people from the planet uh Gizma.
0: so quick caveat is that uh apparently human beings along with like everything else for the most part are psychic races or psychic yes. compatible races mm-hmm. which is an important thing in this because they just like just go with that for a very long time
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah so the there's an SOS thing that from the Giz from the uh Gizmanians, <laughs> they send it via telepathy. Like the they opened the they opened the, the capsule inside it's a computer screen and a uh control box, and it sends a psychic message, a recorded psychic message. <laughs> that basically uh the Gizmanians they were attacked by an evil race called the Eblani from the planet Eblon. Uh, The Eblani conquered them, but not before the Gizmanians created an ultimate weapon, but it was too late to use it, so instead they created an ultimate survival plan as well, with 10,000 Gizmanians still alive. They sent out a bunch of SOS pods and then hunkered down. We're told to look for the ball of fire and use the control box.
0: Yeah, that's pretty much it. Which, uh, and starting off so far, good sci-fi?
1: Yeah, I think it's pretty good. setting things up real fast but sort of doing it so uh rick decides to rick random decides to investigate especially because the eblani are encroaching on human territory recently and
0: nobody likes them in the not galactic senate but definitely galactic
1: senate indeed (laughs) so uh he gets some inside information from his friend, a member of the uh, Quanti, which is a race that's been enslaved by the Eblani, and are basically just humans with horns on their heads.
0: Yeah, she's super cute, and I'm very into her, right?
1: Yeah, one of yeah the guy who consults doctors, uh, Mila Orst joins Rick Random. hmm They pick, and so they're going to infiltrate the uh, the Eblani uh, homeworld. Along the way, they pick up a fighter escort of a uh, brell cat Ka- canto the lady pilot from the start of the story and diff wiga who will die soon
0: <laughs> <laughs> red shirt definitely yeah um i i will say big props on the um sci-fi names oh like, yeah so far like i actually really like them they they roll off the tongue fairly well
1: diff uh, is a d y f f which is pretty sweet
0: yeah alliteration and like sound is really important in this sort of stuff you know
1: Mm-hmm.
0: When you so name the, an elf John, it doesn't really work.
1: I mean, you put some some pronunciations in there. You got yourself a Martian, John. No man, uh, John Jones, the Martian Manhunter. But anyhow, <laughs> the plan is for Myla and Rick to drop onto El a uh, Eblon, where Rick will disguise himself as a quanti and the search will begin. <laughs> but upon so upon entering um, Elboni's eblon i keep calling these guys elbows instead of e- yeah, me too, eblons man. it's hard
0: it looks like elbow
1: <laughs> i mean it is but the l and the b are different um <laughs> <laughs> but when they do the, the uh the ship is the ship the, the crew is attacked diff gets killed and brell is left to fly off in rick and myla's ship as they make a power drop onto the planet let uh the plant quant in this case so let intrigue commence to be continued <laughs>
0: Yeah, it looks pretty cool. There was some hyperspace and not hyperspace talk in between there, which I I don't get the difference between because I'm not a science man. But Yeah,
1: it was just a bunch of like, they travel through hyperspace and then like, all right, just you fighters come out of hyperspace first and see if the coast is clear. And then the coast yep. wasn't clear and then it's like, whatever.
0: <laughs> okay, we're not going <laughs>
1: to. I don't know. It's It doesn't come up later in the story that much, so I don't want to. No,
0: not really. But I There's no like, reason to dwell it's... on it. <laughs> Right, but uh, I guess when I say that, and I'm not going to talk about the other two parts, (laughs) like, when I talk about this being good sci-fi, it's really about, like, the setup of the world being, like, you're okay with them saying things like, you know, quantum fucking... Displacement reactor, or whatever. Yeah, it's Um,
1: it's it's for sure got some cool space stuff. I would that that's definitely definitely the case for sure.
0: It's certainly not like a
1: fucking uh, lunatic wrote it. Hmm. Absolutely not. But hey, speaking of space lunatics, (laughs) Thrill Six Mach One. Mach One is back, guys. He's He's alive.
0: Apparently,
1: which really
0: makes me upset
1: well, so this is apparently in the past, like they kind of early on they sort of show like a file that is the mock man uh like the Mockman file and says that he's currently deceased, so this is apparently a flashback,
0: ah uh, okay, I thought it was just adding to the mockman file, but this is in the Mockman man file, yeah,
1: it's already now deceased so it's taking place after he's just after he's um died. But it's gotcha. weird because the, the year for it is 1991, which means that it takes place three years after the Mach 0 story. So mm-hmm. if we assume that Mach 0 takes place after the events of when he was freed in Mach 1, then the only time that this could ha- like, possibly take place must be in between the Dolphin Tapes adventure and the final um, encounter adventure. Oh, man. It just took I... place in there and no one talked about it. You know what I mean?
0: I really like that you figured out the timeline on that, man.
1: I'm doing my best. I don't know how it works for sure.
0: I don't know if they were thinking about it too much. Mach 1 was not. It did not look like it was one of their better sellers.
1: They should think about it because, listen, they had these years in here. They could easily not have the years. And Mach 1 was pretty popular from what I understand. Until Judge Dredd started taking off, Mach 1 was the top thrill for a long time.
0: Oh, okay. Huh. I didn't know that. Yeah. They, had some, yeah, they got some James Bond stuff going on in this one.
1: It's just, a, you know, this is a, you know, it's all very, as always with Mach 1, very James Bond slash $6 million man, you know? Yeah. So, there are these guys, they're on a moon base, they're in like a moon buggy. <laughs> they get attacked by laser beams, essentially, they're dead, and Mach 1's sent into space to investigate.
0: Oh man, in Mach 1, I'm here on on the moon.
1: Exactly. They give him a uh, sweet atomic Harley Davidson and he goes... Fl-
0: Specifically um, Harley Davidson. Yeah,
1: Harley Davidson atomic-powered hoverbike, and he goes out exploring on the moon. It's so weird. Eventually, he comes under attack from space laser turrets and flying saucers and finds his way into the tunnels deep underneath the moon, which were built by dang aliens.
0: Oh, stupid aliens always jacking things up
1: yeah they've been monitoring us for thousands of years and they don't care for our warlike ways there's a view screen that shows the warlike ways they don't care but it's a picture of uh, Jesus on the cross which doesn't seem like a good example of no. warlike well actually okay it does like, kind of seem like done. a good example of a warlike way but also like I don't know guys um, like come on anyhow long the short of it is a uh, pro beats up a bunch of robots and blows up the base and escapes.
0: And then the aliens are like, Ah, oh, but we'll come and get you. We got other outposts.
1: Yeah, I'm surprised that um, these events took place and Probe was still basically pro-alien when he met Fred before his yeah. uh, final um, you know, dance with destruction and stuff.
0: That's it's, it. It's almost as though people just wrote this without <laughs> thinking about it.
1: Stop it. Um <laughs> Oh, I should say that the uh, the script robot for this Mach One story is Mike Lake, and the art robot is Trev Goring. Um, but yeah, so Mach One rides off into the future, into the uh, sunset, or I guess the Earth set. Um, humanity is saved once again, and these aliens can go get out of here.
0: I guess so. I I liked their like their position as aliens, was, like, generic alien reasoning, which I like in these twists, which is like, yeah, if you guys go to space, you'll fucking, like, find us eventually and just kill us. Because you kill everything. And I don't think that that's a good idea, so we're gonna (laughs) kill you first.
1: Yeah, it's very uh, Q and Star Trek Next Generation kind of thing.
0: Yeah. I mean, it it just, it seems, like, really odd. Um, I... I don't understand um, why they keep bringing like, Mach 1 back up in these like different situations. Uh, it feels a little bit old hat.
1: I don't, I don't know. I, th- I think people do like the character, and they want to sort of... They, when they have these guys, maybe authors want to write about them, or they just sort of schedule it, and they have these stories that they would have serialized, but maybe he's not that popular in the comics, so they want to they got to burn off this art they have some way, so they put it again in the special, you know?
0: But you're taking this character who was incredibly anti-tyranny and then just dumbing him down
1: again. Yeah. I think it works in a couple ways. I don't know. Uh, maybe you're right. Yeah. But hey, speaking of bringing back old stories, Thrill 7, Rick Random Part 2. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Rick and Myla, they land on the planet Quant, and make contact with some Quanti resistance guys. Uh, and the leader is apparently one of Milo's old friends. Rick gets a Quanti disguise. So he gets some horns glued to his head.
0: They, and, they literally say they grafted them to his skull.
1: Yeah, it's awesome.
0: Yeah, it's great. It's That's some Star Trek shit right there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. Facial
0: reconstructive surgery.
1: Always. But so then they are smuggled onto the planet Eblani, and they find it to be very, like, oppressive. These Eblanis are bad guys, and they, like, control everybody.
0: They're a 100% a fascist state.
1: Oh, yeah. Which leads slaves. Yeah, which leads to, like, Rick and, and Milo walking down the street bumping into an Eblani and Rick being forced to murder him <laughs> or to murder them both like this Eblani couple basically. Which which
0: is like what I, I just thought he punched him. They're dead though. No, they're, they're dead. dead. Oh yeah. yeah. dead.
1: Um they they retreat into a resistance hideout and link up with the underground. They you know trying to find the ball of fire. And to do that, they can't be locked down in the city because the city is now on lockdown because the people they killed, one of the guys they killed was the head of the security police of the city, which also actually earns them a ton of credit inside the underground. Oh, yeah. But so. Win-win. The underground guys create a bunch of diversions. And Rick and Myla escape in the ship of Cowd, who's a tiny alien that travels inside a giant suit that looks like an abalone. The the abalone are sort of these big, like, squid-faced guys that are square in shape. I would say. Yeah, they're gross. Like, they're they're, they're big, just
0: weird-looking prunes.
1: Yeah, they're big pruny squ- uh, cube men. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I don't like oh, neat. Uh, character stuff uh, yeah. I specifically like the worm inside of the guy
1: Yeah, coward. it's like
0: oh there's more of us yeah, coward. it's like oh yeah there's more of us coming to like mm-hmm. replace people on the planet and I'm like damn this like did they need help seems like yeah they
1: man cover. they're like it's a resistance movement you know everybody's doing it
0: I'm just saying they seem to just be able to well whatever I'll get in yeah man, Rick
1: there. Random has shown up just to take advantage of the work done by others that's how it goes yeah.
0: Pretty much.
1: So they fly to the city of uh, Lebluk where the final Gizmanians took refuge, and maybe they'll find the answer to the ball of fire mystery and stuff there. Yeah,
0: that's
1: and it. good times. Yeah. Speaking of uh, again, old uh, old stories being brought back. Thrill, eight, damn dare history.
0: Frank <laughs> Bellamy. Take center stage.
1: Yeah, so script robot Alan Vince just writes a, a two-page spread about the uh, general publication history of uh, author Frank Bellamy. And, it's actually pretty
0: interesting. Yeah,
1: and the creation development of Dan Dare. A uh, big revelation is that the fishhook eyebrows of Dan Dare are part of the original d- design of the character.
0: Yeah, I didn't know that. I, it's pretty <laughs> weird.
1: And this article has a lot of, like, early 60s British comic inside baseball stuff, which mm-hmm. is kind of interesting if kind of hard to follow sometimes. And we've said this before, but, you know, just general thumbs down to long sections of text in comic books. Yeah, Ooh.
0: yeah. I mean, in, in general, like, I, I, I get that you need some filler and, and there's some places that they want to write down the history of a guy, especially someone who, you know had died, I mean, I wouldn't have said fairly recently um, in comparison to when he died and when this comic is active, but, like, if I was a comic book enthusiast and I really wanted to learn about the people who were making, like, my comics, mm-hmm. um, in, a, in a world before the internet, I probably wouldn't necessarily find out about them in the comics, right? How much I, you know, as much as I love history in my comic books... I might want to, you know, maybe take at like a, you know, happy five-year anniversary. Here's a huge book of how we made our stuff that people could look at, and, you know, buy for like a hundred million dollars in pence. <laughs> I don't know how much pence are.
1: Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't know if that's like a, um, I don't know if that had been a viable thing to do yet in like 1977 or 1976.
0: Oh, oh, sure. You know, I no just, one... I just. Oh, please go ahead.
1: Like no one takes comic books seriously enough to be like, oh, let's make a uh, coffee table book about the early days of uh, British comics, you know?
0: So I mean, I'm I was gonna save this this rant a little bit for the end, but this seems like the right point because this is exactly where I kind of got upset at this comic, right.
1: So mm-hmm.
0: here we are in uh, the sci-fi. Show special and it's been pretty good so far right like i'm not hating my tour through this thing mm-hmm. um but then i get to this and i get this sinking feeling of like all the things that i've been shown that like i don't know if the sci-fi special is for kids
1: mm, interesting i don't
0: know because it's,
1: it's hard to tell i guess
0: like what what like I don't know. Let's say 10 to 13-year-olds. 13, 13, I'd say, is probably more likely to be, like, ah, oh, space chicks. But, like, a lot of this stuff, like, it's not for, like, a 16-year-old a kid or something. I don't know. Like, some other things in in the comic books that are, like, here's some cartoons that are out or some candy or Bita Bix or whatever, right? right. We're getting very, big like, signals here. And, like, why? And this all coming back to this why would you make a news article with some thing that tells you about this guy like maybe you reach a kid out there who wants to be a writer or an artist maybe yeah but they're not going to read all that
1: yeah i think it's partially it could be that but i think it's also just kind of general like um you know they are trying to do some history stuff for these characters that we have like dan Dare and stuff like i That's feel like true. i don't know it's, it's hard to tell, like, the super motivations of it it's for a combination of needing space, wanting to actually talk about some inside baseball stuff in the industry these guys are involved with, and wanting to, like, sort of do just some, just some general background stuff about an older character like Dan Dare. That's sort of a classic one that they're trying to bring back and stuff. I don't know.
0: I just feel like that's, like, you know, when you, when you have the nerve center, that's what it's for, right? Like, give it three pages or something at the front and be like, here's some cool stuff about comics in general, now let's go to, like, your regularly scheduled programming, right? That way you get kind of this thing at the top that's like, here's this guy who made Dan Dare, and you're going to be hearing about Dan Dare, but instead it's this, like, hey, you're you're two-thirds of the way through this bad boy, here's a shitload of words, and all I'm thinking to myself is, if I'm thinking like a kid, I would just flip this page immediately and go right back to Rick Random.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know, I mean... It's hard to tell what exactly the concept is but I agree that it's it's hard to read through when you're sort of in the middle of a story and then when you're in the middle of a comic book and then there's words and stuff it's hard to sort of keep pay attention to it I find
0: Well and I think it's just it goes to uh, I I know that we're trying to get past this but like no it goes to pace it goes to pacing right like yeah. there's a reason the nerve centers at the front and it's like here's all the judicious shit that we need to get out of the way but if you've been buying the comic you know weekly or whatever you kind of look forward to those things or at least i do now like i like reading the first page because it's like okay well what's going on in this comic and what are they setting up for this comic
1: yeah although i think the interesting point is that the nerve center's only been in the front of the comic for like a month or two like, that's true previously it's been in the middle of the comic fair enough I don't know. Well, no, no, no. I like
0: this is the kind of discussion that I like to have about this thing because I'm I'm tearing apart uh, a comic book from 1978, right? Sure. Like, I'm splitting hairs here, man. This is this is the nitpickiest of details. I'm just, it. This the sci-fi special does not to me seem kid friendly, especially not with this fucking Rick
1: Random dude. But let's keep mm. going. Yeah. Speaking of which, Thrill Nine, Rick Random part three the epic conclusion exciting finale so uh we cut into rick and milo they've been searching for the ball of fire for like three weeks when finally rick recognizes a mountain in the the, india landscape from the sos video that they saw at the beginning of the story inside they find the ruined gizmanian city and future in, and further investigation reveals a hidden sanctuary that may have once held the ball of fire itself yeah uh, soon afterwards their resistance contacts reveal that um, the ball of fire may be held inside an eblani temple that houses hundreds of slaves that are presumably sacrificed to the eblani gods
0: yeah it's like the eblani temple it's the super awesome everybody yeah. goes there
1: Exactly. So Rick and company infiltrate the temple. They start a riot soon after the Eblani Emperor arrives.
0: Oh, and can you explain this to me real quick? Are all of the, are all of the slavery races there, which were talking telepathically with each other, are they all blind? Because that was brought up several times that they're blinded. I think. But but I didn't know if that, if I was just being crazy or not.
1: I think there's one guy who is blinded. A big thing is they that they make a point of early is that the Eblani don't have any night vision, and they mm. panic in the dark. And so at one point, although the page doesn't really reflect it, they um, they turn out all the lights inside the temple, like as they begin the rebellion thing. And so the uh, the Eblani panic because it's in the dark. And then I think there's one race of people, maybe these crocodile-looking guys. They oh, may, yeah. in fact, be, be blind as well, but can see in the dark and do other things. Gotcha. But so, you know, in the dark, the Eblani Emperor is killed, and Rick and his buddies <laughs> escape with the Ball of Fire, which is a big old globe that I guess the Eblanis are worshipping now or something, I don't know. Anyhow. <laughs> so they
0: steal an ancient artifact from the civilization that completely murdered the civilization that made it.
1: Yeah, Fair that's how it goes with imperialism you take something yeah. and then someone else takes it from you that's all right. so back on earth everyone decides what to do with the ball and it's discovered that in fact the lost civilization of the Gizmanians is inside the ball of fire
0: oh what a twist
1: Yeah, they activate it inside the London interplanetary sports arena and suddenly 10,000 people show up from inside the ball good times
0: they're like thanks we were totally in there and not dead but like made out of energy it was totally cool and you'll never be able to think of what it was like but we're totally gonna kill those weirdos now because they're not great
1: dan uh yeah exactly rick random will return in the 1979 dan dare annual to kill <laughs> Or something, I don't know. I'm
0: guessing. Also, that man smokes a lot of cigarettes. He, he smokes does. so many damn cigarettes. There are so many cigarettes all over this comic. And mad respect, dude, there's no lung cancer in the super future.
1: It's funny to see a good guy smoking so much, frankly.
0: I mean, look, I. there are enough people in this comic book who don't smoke, and there are enough people in this comic book who smoke to make me think that they're real people.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: I know how weird that sounds because everyone's been completely empty smoking, and don't get me wrong, Jesus never gets started. I'm still stuck on it. And, like, I just, I don't know. I, it's not, I really, really, really like Rick Random. But I like the story, and that was really hard to get
1: through. <laughs> it's hard to read. It's just like the quadrant system is really an ineffective way to get a story across, frankly. It
0: really is. I mean, it wasn't built for this comic book and all that, and we sort of went over that. But like, this felt like a really good, you know, two-parter TNG or something. You know, hmm. uh, it was it was written very similarly, where while the main guy is fairly like confident and cocksure, although not like. I don't know. He doesn't belittle people, and he's not completely sassy, although he is, you know, extra male, so he hits on people once in a while. <laughs> but, but like, everybody in it has some part to play. Every race is equally weighted and respected. No one's just called ugly or, you know, treated like garbage. The bad guys are definitely the bad guys. The good guys are definitely the good guys. Um, and they're all just trying to, like, make stuff work. Like, even this, like, whole thing, they're they're trying to find this weapon, and when he figures out that it's this, a civilization, yeah, we gotta rescue these guys, because we need to kill the Eblani, or Elbowmen, or whatever. <laughs> Literally because these guys are trapped in here, we need to get them out.
1: Yeah, uh, and I just, I, I appreciate the, uh, the alien guys not just being sort of transparent like ethnic stereotypes, which yes, I feel thank you. Like, like could be a possibility in a 1957 comic. We're like, oh, the guy with the horns or a little uh, something or other. I don't know. I don't want to get exactly. into it. But, oh, no. they, I was... but they didn't really do that, and for that, I am grateful. Well, hey, the main... <laughs> what was that, Fox?
0: Oh, they had the main character put on the horns, for God's sake.
1: Yeah. But hey, so you said when we talked about Dan Dare, he's killing people all over the place. And speaking <laughs> of killing people all over the place. Thrill 10, Judge Dread. All right, final thrill. <laughs> and it's awesome. Yeah, so like. X13, who is a uh, lizard or robot guy, I guess? Once he gets again- a- Yeah, once again, lizards aren't robots, but apparently they are here, I guess. Uh, he smokes a cigar. Exactly, he, but he gets out of robot prison several days later. There's a rash of explosion-based murders, masterminded by what the media is calling the Purple People Breeder, which I don't get. Mm-mm, me either.
0: Like it's a really ineffectual name for like what's going on, and maybe. Like uh, the one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater was really popular right now, or something, and someone was like, "Oh, it's a great idea," and they just threw it in, not thinking about it. This has nothing to do with breeding.
1: Yeah, no, for sure, it's a terrible name. <laughs> but so, Dread investigates another victim of that killer while X thirteen, who is the purple people people breeder, uh, kidnaps Walter and replaces Walter with a fake. Oh no! <laughs> oh snap! as as the fake walter uh, feeds dread terrible tea walter escapes yeah. and runs to save dread with help from his former cab driver buddy fwed
0: immediately there which is great
1: yeah meanwhile it turns out that the tea was poisoned and the uh, fake walter prepares to explode as x13 gloats like
0: god you're going to die
1: yeah but at the last minute, Walter arrives and takes down both the imposter and himself out of Dredd's uh, picture window. He's selfless. <laughs> yeah, they hit the ground and explode. Dredd calls a robot ambulance for Walter and then hunts down X-13. He takes That's down the cute. android. Victory, Dread. <laughs> he punches him in the face, man. Yeah. Then he visits Walter at the robo-clinic, and from his wheelchair, Walter serves Dredd tea.
0: <laughs> it's so. really cute.
1: Yeah, no kills this issue, so dread kill count remains at 55.
0: So, like, while he may not have killed anyone, this dude turned people into living bombs, which was really quickly glossed over, but how he does it is super awesome. It's like this guy is reaching out, and he's a politician, just shakes him by his hand, and the hand's coming in, but it's got some weird circuitry going on the yeah. palm. And then as it connects everything explodes blows in death and it's like, oh, that'd be <laughs> so terrifying.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was That's a weird really- thing because the guy they killed they described as a presidential candidate and I don't know what that means in Mega City 1. It feels almost like a misprint or something.
0: Yeah, because they don't have presidents. They just have judges.
1: Yeah, I mean, we specifically saw the last president of the United States in cryo-sleep or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> you everyone know, was judges. Like, we want judges. Yeah. We want judges. Oh, I should mention that this uh, the script robot for this story is William Nilly, and the art robot is Subliminal Kid. Ooh, Subliminal Kid, huh? Yeah, but I thought it was a fun story. Like, there's, a, there's this part that's kind of funny where uh, Walter, you know, he's, like, jumped out the window, and there was a big explosion, and so he when he lands from jumping out of Judge Dredd's window, he's this big, like scattered pile of parts kind of like the sun in mock zero this issue and yeah. dread dread like cradles walter's head and is like like we'll get you fixed up and then i'll take down this killer personally you know it was, that was yeah, pretty it was neat.
0: a little of character but also building character you know i, yeah. I don't know i it was a very subtle thing of walter i thought that was kind of cool gave the character more depth than just crying and Sporting oil everywhere, you know. Yeah,
1: for sure. Yeah, and this is kind of a of a weird, um, or it's like an older school version of Dread. Like we're sort of seeing <laughs> Dread evolve, sort of into his larger, like more modern self in the Cursed Earth right now. And this is sort of a throwback to old school kind of skinny Dread, basically.
0: Yeah, kind of uh, thrill of the week.
1: Yeah, Dread. exactly. But so yeah, pretty fun, inoffensive Dread story. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would like it did not
0: overstay its welcome. Uh, there were parts I would have loved to expand on. I would have loved another page of just people exploding and him trying to figure it out. Agreed. Uh, but other than that, I mean, it was too good.
1: Yeah, it could have used like yeah some more some more sort of people exploding and some explanation about how he turned pe- how he how and why he usually turned people into bombs, but used a fake Walter. To take down Dread instead of turning Dread into a bomb himself. You know what I mean?
0: Exactly. Like,
1: yeah.
0: It would have just been, I don't know, just more interesting on a couple of other levels. But the, again, it's still Judge Dread. He's going to punch and shoot his
1: way to victory, and that seems like a really worthwhile method for him. So Ex- Exactly. And so then the uh, sci fi special ends with just a, uh, a, a, a pinup of the Mekon, the Dan Dare villain, with like a little bit of background on the Mekon character and like a flashback to like his first his first appearance in Dan Dare in like
0: 1963 the the Mekon is boring i don't care the the two of her wrath was awesome the Mekon is boring
1: he's so boring <laughs> he's just kind of a green guy on a floating frisbee you know
0: yeah, it's so fucking 1940s or 1950s. This is what aliens are. Isn't that imposing? It's like <laughs> visually supposed to be off-putting, but it's like not because that that big head, small body character is now just overdone. And maybe he was the progenitor of it, who knows. Mhm. So anyway,
1: so hey, we're done with the thrills this month, Fox. What was your top thrill for this Sci-Fi Special 1978? Sci-Fi Chicks? Special, 1978. Uh, sci-fi chicks? <laughs> <laughs> That's the man I'm trying to run a serious podcast here, Fox.
0: I know, we're we are if anything, we are hard hitting real visceral facts. Um, so let's let's take this let's take this seriously. So I'm gonna actually go with my bottom thrill first, if that's okay. Please. That's a little easier for me to do. And my bottom thrill is Mach One.
1: Alright, why is Mach One your bottom thrill?
0: So, you know, in general like Going through it, uh, like nothing super interesting happened. I mean, I, like yeah, he punched some aliens and maybe saved the planet. It just felt like like it didn't need to be there. You could have saved the pages by putting anything else on. Expand the Mac the Mach Zero story. Um, give me some more dread. You could have even uh, like oh here here's something. What one two three four five six seven eight. Nine pages. Give me a short nine-page Shacko. Yeah, huh. give me give me a short um, nine-page... Like, fuck, I'd even call any Earth because I could have just pointed to it and say it, it's bad and not bland. It, this is just bland. It's not <laughs> garbage. It's not offensive. It's just not interesting. Like, if you read this sci-fi annual, you could skip over the 110% and just be like, oh, I was better for it. <laughs> didn't waste time. I got some. I got some more Rick Random, you know, which while difficult to get through, is actually fucking interesting.
1: Hmm.
0: I I don't know. I don't know what your
1: thoughts are on it, but what's well, your bottom? F- that's th- that. That's fair for sure. Um, mm, I was like, I'm kind of of two minds about like I found da- I found Rick Random while interesting to be to be very difficult to read just oh, because the four pages per page jumping around makes it hard to follow and makes it really busy, and the text very small and stuff like that, so it's just generally sort it's of hard to get to through read. and stuff. It's so horrible to read. Yeah, and like... But I also didn't really like the Judge Dread story this month. Mm. Um, just because... Mostly because... It felt like a real throwback. Like we're we're in this evolutionary phase of Judge Dredd right now, where he's sort of changing from the thrill a month, um, like Skinny Dredd, to the modern, like super epic, um, like like heavier Judge Dredd, I guess. Yeah, this definitely has
0: the of like here's three comics that we've written before, about these things you just take a crack at it.
1: Yeah, it just it felt like it was just sort of. An older version of of Judge Dread, and just like if they had gone with an old with the older version of Dan Dare in this one, it feels mm. like a, a step backwards. And so I can't. Yeah, I, it's it's less good for me for Mach for Mach One. Like I was kind of happy to see John Probe again, and so mm. <laughs> I'm a little lighter on it. I think. Gotcha. Just because that and because that story's sort of done, so it's sort of a throwback to that as opposed to mm. Judge Dread, where it's sort of like I'm not. I'm not interested in like the, I've I feel like I've seen all that I all that we're going to see from this version of dread. So yeah, I'm ready for the new versions.
0: No, I agree like it was definitely lower on there but so what what would you account for your bottom? Like what was something that you so, thought this was
1: countable. But so yeah, so I'd say like I'd say the, the Judge dread is my bottom. I just I don't understand why the robots a lizard the Judge Dread's <laughs> feeling towards Walter feels very out of place it really they, does they don't do enough to sort of set up this concept of the purple people breeder as an actual thing and like again like i said they don't do anything to set up like why there's a fake walter blowing up dread when he's previously been making people blow up i would have loved to see a story about dread being a bomb and trying to fix that stuff but they didn't do that and so they just did Walter stuff and it's just like i don't know it's not doing it for me i'm not feeling it <laughs>
0: It it felt like again someone was like here are three comics from Judd Shred's past you guys got to write and make this um, by the way uh, so they're like okay well do you guys have anything else other than Judge Shred oh uh, kids like Walter like all right we'll write in Walter and yeah. then it's like oh, it needs to have like an alien or a mutant or something and someone just kind of stung some shit together and then like no one proofread yeah. it and then it happened
1: <laughs> I'll say generally like you know most of the comics here were fine. There's not like like I didn't get it it this it's not a terrible story, but I would have liked to see better, I guess. But okay, so Fox, what's your what's your top thrill this week?
0: My my top thrill. So it's it was this is where it's difficult for me. So um let me talk first about Rick Random and why I uh, like Rick Random.
1: Yeah, please don't let you know, usually I, I like to do tops first just so that if you like something oh. that's my that's my bottom thrill, it doesn't color it, you know. Oh, but yeah, you yeah. Said no, 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 and that's, and
0: that's, I, that's the thing, is like, you and I kind of talked before this, and I figured you weren't, you weren't gonna throw it under the bus too much just because it's, it's different enough, and it's, you know, it's, in- something back, so, um, I, this didn't really feel like filler, this felt like, someone was like, well, this is really decent sci-fi, we could probably throw this in, it's a little ugly to, like, read, but... You know, looking at it and the visuals that are against it, it's really beautiful. It's a really gorgeous uh, looking book, um, but for the most part, it's just nothing that was being done was meant to diminish anyone. So no one was just like, "Ah, oh, you're just the dumb woman. No one needs to talk to you," or "You're the dumb alligator man," or "You're the whatever." Mm-hmm. Like everyone was just really working hard to work together to solve the problem, which is a lot of early science fiction is like very hopeful about what the future is and about kind of exercising um, things that would sort of take liberties and freedom away from you. Mm-hmm. So this, this is one of the things that I want to just sort of put in its corner. That said, uh, Dan Dare had some really gorgeous visuals, and the story was not bad at all, um, it, at least in my mind. Like, he was generic, Dan Dare, before he became, you know, Matchbox Spence the Dan Dare battlestar playset, places, you know, um, <laughs> like, like, at least for me, the, the art does pull a lot of weight. It's at least 50% of what I'm looking for in a comic book, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, my God, uh, Gary Leach, you have a talent for making things look incredibly real and then very quickly surreal. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a page that is my absolute favorite that I'm going to make sure to save to to send you for an upload or something Mm
1: -hmm. that is
0: just really shows how he's like distorting reality while at the same time grounding it in what people... it making it like look like a human being so that that terror actually is captured. So I'm going with Dan Dare with a special mention of um rick random as a as a damn good sci-fi story so one had really great art okay story one had okay art, really great story
1: (laughs) nice yeah um for me i don't know for my top i'm still thinking about it a little bit um i i guess i'll say dan dare as well um like like you said the art of sort of just the uh the altered reality that visco creates is really neat and yeah leech kind of does this like ink style that's very sort of distinctive and looks really unusual in sort of just just the backdrop of this black and white comic and stuff
0: Mm. also Um, uses a lot of dark coloring you know
1: yeah part of me wonders if this was actually like maybe a color comic that's been monotoned just because oh. the way that it, the way that it's drawn sort of reminds me of what a lot of the color comic like the color pages look like mm. in, when we see these comics and stuff um and so just the way it's done makes it kind of look like it doesn't like the way things are shaded and stuff doesn't look like it was um done in, it was originally done in shades of gray I guess and also oh it's God. weird And it's weird that they talk about there being a purple lake and it not actually being purple. You know, that's an odd um, thing to mention if they weren't going to actually do it in the page, I guess.
0: You and your ability to see the the tiniest of details. I swear to God, if the sci-fi special is just them going through their trash bin and throwing things together, I'm going to be upset.
1: I mean, I'm not going to say that's not what it is, but that also could be what it is. Or no, I I don't know.
0: That would explain the Judge Dredd thing. Like, oh, this isn't a very good one. Oh, we still have it. All right, throw it in the sci-fi special. It could you know?
1: be. I mean, it's. I think it's more like, like the fact that most of the time the creative teams aren't anybody, aren't in any way the actual creative teams, makes mm. it feel more like um, auditions. Ah, like, oh. This is Mike Leach like auditioning for 2000 A.D
0: that would be neat i like that hopeful uh as or that hopeful approach much more yeah, than me i'd say episode. i'd say
1: it's more i'd guess it's more that than um just total cast offs but i don't know you know we'll see <laughs> we'll we should, I, ask some, I, we should ask somebody man it's the 20th episode we got like cachet <laughs> with uh that completed the only thing left to say is that you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, or on our podcast site at Cradaline.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages on Twitter, where Space Spinner 2 k Tune in next week as we'll see The Tragic End of Inferno. Then the Tramp Army brings the war to Cousin George. The Ant Wars break out in South America. And Judge Dredd fights in the infamous, and until recently completely censored and forbidden, Burger War. Awesome. Oh, also, uh, 2000 AD creates Jurassic Park 12 years before the book came out. Guest starring oh, old One-Eye. Aw, oh, snap! <laughs> Until next time, I'm Conrad, he's Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. spun birth, birth rig! birth rig.